Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad that you are along for the ride today because we have good news about a couple outstanding resources that we're going to share with you today. I love having Good News Friday stuff to give away, and we have three different books to give away. One is going to is designed to help you, well, three different copies. One is designed to help you figure out where you're supposed to be what your role in life is and uh, and how God helps you to see it in his own unique way. And the other is how do you discover the sacred pathway to a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Author Gary Thomas will be in to talk about that one. Author, Pastor and author Ines Franklin will be in to talk about the first one. Um, and that it's, it's going to be a wonderful day today here on the Bottom Line Show and of course good news. Now, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I'm kind of a music geek I mentioned yesterday as we celebrated uh, my broadcast anniversary, which made me really super, I just emotional, it's just running the gamut of uh, how that all feels and what it's like to even be in this position and how grateful I am to the Crawford family and the other broadcast families that gave me a shot and, uh, and to you all for tuning in and supporting our advertisers and uh, calling in and winning stuff. And just, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to be a part of this. But I'm a really big person for let's get the story behind the story <clears throat> how many times have you sung a song in church or maybe recited a creed or something like that and then asked the question why are we doing this i think it's a fair question to ask if you grew up in traditional church um, i can understand why this was a big deal i know a couple of people who were pretty strong in the evangelical church for years and years even coming out of pastoral ministry who've now gone into greek orthodox or catholicism because they like the structure. I mean, they like the church history. They like knowing who the church fathers are. They like that feeling of accountability. And there's something going on in many of the Protestant denominations, especially, that are giving some people a certain level of uncertainty with regard to who's in charge, who's authority. And I find it interesting. It's, uh, you know, every now and again, I'll get email from people, you know, hey, have you seen this video or maybe a text message or something like that? I've been getting a lot of uh, material recently from people who are <clears throat> either Catholic or going Catholic, you know, and they, I left the Protestant church for Catholicism. These videos are fascinating to me, by the way. I'm, I'm always intrigued. Uh, years ago, I had a guy by the name of John Schreiner, who's a dear friend, known each other for many, many years. Uh, he's a Grammy-nominated uh, Christian writer, arranger. Uh, he's produced so many great contemporary Christian albums over the years. It's just, it's fun to work with him. And he and I were talking on Facebook, I think this was probably five, six years ago, where he explained to me why he converted to Catholicism. And initially it had something to do with a, uh, uh, a, a an opportunity for him to work at a Catholic church. And they said, but you have to, if you're going to be the organist for this service you have to be catholic and so he started taking the classes went through the full catechism and said this is great i learned more about church history in one year of studying this than i did in my whole lifetime growing up in the evangelical church and my first thought was okay well that i'm glad you felt educated in that regard but i also was a little concerned that he would kind of turn tail on the traditional faith of his youth um and so uh, you know I have to wonder, well, d does it necessarily mean, I mean, if I can use an analogy, it's kind of like saying, okay, well, I was married to a woman for 30, 40 years, and we had this kind of relationship, but I really didn't understand what marriage was about or what love was all about. And then I met this other woman, and I want that relationship, so I basically ditched my wife and 
went off with the other gal. I mean, I realize it's not that extreme in the sense of, you know, human relationships and interacting with other people. But I get the sense that a lot of people are leaving the evangelical slash Protestant side of the equation uh, to go either Catholic or Greek Orthodox or whatever because they like the structure, they like the accountability of having a church body and governance, and um, they like having an explanation about the history. So, uh, to the evangelical church for doing a lousy job of teaching church history, and I think the evangelical church has done a pretty terrible job, but at the same time, I mean, I can look at just about every mainline denomination and ask the question about, I mean, anybody can poke holes in the veneer. Anybody can, you know, see through to the other side. But it's interesting how when you find out the history of the church, it doesn't necessarily make me want to run out and join another denomination. I just like knowing the history of things. And so that's why every now and again, I get a chance to share with you uh, on especially good news about maybe one of the hymns that we've sung in the church for years and years, and you ask the question, why is it so important? Uh, John Stone Street and Glenn Sunshine of the uh, Breakpoint Commentary from the Charles Colson Center for Biblical Worldview published this recently, uh, in early June, actually, of this year, with regard to a hymn that many of us know, and it's often kind of lampooned in the culture because a lot of people understand it too. And the hymn is Onward, Christian Soldiers. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. A little short there. With the cross of Jesus going on before you. I'm I'm just, that's all I remember. Uh, Something about Christ in royal battle uh, ends against the foe. Onward into battle, something, something roll. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. I believe that's the whole first verse of the chorus. And it's a fun church song to sing. But who wrote it and why did they do so? Well, uh, it was June the 5th, 1865. An Anglican priest by the name of Sabin Baring Gould wrote this as a processional. It was originally written for children walking to Horbury St. Peter's Church near Wakefield in Yorkshire. And it really wasn't the cultural stereotype for him, per se. It's kind of a militant, narrow-minded, you know, vibe. Um, And quite frankly, this is what people expected him to be. Militant, narrow-minded, fearful, and fighting against any kind of new knowledge. And yet, this is a guy who actually, if you didn't stereotype him and got to know him, you'd find out he lived a pretty impressive life. He was very inquisitive about the world that God made. Um, While serving in parishes, he was a prolific writer. He wrote nearly 1,300 titles to his credit. He wrote novels. He wrote short stories, published them in journals, wrote a 16-volume series called Lives of the Saints. He wrote modern biographies, travelogues, and hymns. Um, This is a guy who literally, I mean, he had an international reputation as an antiquarian. He wrote a book called Curious Myths of the Middle Ages, which is a study of 24 medieval superstitions and their variants and antecedents, too. He wrote a book called The Book of Werewolves, for crying out loud. He knew these uh, barbaric, old-school medieval languages as well. He began the first archaeological excavations of Dartmoor in Devon which includes the largest concentration of Bronze Age remains in all of Great Britain. Quite the Renaissance guy. Uh, 
As a matter of fact, prior to his ordination, he worked at a teach as a teacher at a boys' school and designed the ironwork for the school and painted scenes from the Canterbury Tales and the Fairy Queen on the jams of the windows. He was certainly more than the lyricist for the Christian hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. And yet he wrote this song as a song for church, for kids. He wrote it for uh, kids who were on their way to church, actually. And it was kind of a nice hymn for them to sing. Uh, He wrote it in 15 minutes. And it was originally titled A Hymn for Procession with Cross and Banners. The imagery here was of a Christian as a soldier, and then it only became popular when composer Arthur Sullivan wrote the new melody for it. And um, so basically it doesn't show up in a lot of contemporary hymn books because it's got military vibes to it and the culture isn't really feeling the military stuff anymore. But I think it's very interesting because um, Sabine Varing Gould was involved in so many more uh activities than just the what he was called to. He served in parishes. He wrote children's processionals. He was the son and heir of a noble family, but chose the simple means of the church. He was ordained in 1864. He became the curate at the church of Hornbury Bridge, where a year later he wrote the hymn. And while he was there, he met Grace Taylor, who was then a teenage daughter of a local miller. They fell in love. Even though he was considerably older than her, they were married for 48 years And they raised 15 children together, all but one of whom survived into adulthood, which in the 19th century uh, was no mean feat. So we'll put this story up at thebottomlineshow.com because I find it fascinating that the clergyman Saban Baring Gould, who wrote Onward Christian Soldiers, figured himself out. He heard what God was telling him. He came from nobility He was called to more of a role of poverty. He understood his course as a believer. It eventually led him into the ministry. But what about you? When you became a Christian, did you know exactly what the road was going to look like? How did you come to faith in Christ? Is there a formula that you can use for doing so? Or is your path a little more non-traditional? Pastor Ines Franklin writes a very personal story about following the uncharted path to navigating your unique journey of faith. She's written a book called Unchartered, and we've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. On the other side of this break, we're going to have a conversation about why it's important for us to not be so uh, certain that we're going to have a different path than everybody else that's going to be doing spectacular and awesome. But at the same time, if we start leaning on things like the four spiritual laws and come to this crusade rally and that concert event or whatever it is, we might miss the true spiritual path that God has for us. That conversation coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, today here on the bottom line, we're going to get into a conversation that will really appeal to you. You have found yourself in your walk of faith and wondering, why does it feel like I have a hard time getting started or staying on course? Well, probably you're feeling unchartered. You're, you're, you're feeling like you're trying to navigate faith in a way that doesn't line up with some other people. And if that is the way your faith feels to you, 
shake hands with the rest of us. And joining us today here on the broadcast to talk about this phenomenon is Ines Franklin, who's pastor, Bible teacher, author, speaker, and podcaster. Uh, she's part of the teaching team at Mariner's Church right here in our own backyard, about a stone's throw away from uh, the Bottom Line Show Studios, uh, with a master's in divinity from Fuller Theological Seminary and author of a brand new book with that title, Unchartered, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ines Franklin, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Talk about your ministry because uh, for just a moment before we get into the book, because I I'm intrigued with names and word origins and things of that nature. I've never heard of anyone using, is it Trochia or Trochia? I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it properly, but uh, it's a Christian discipleship ministry, but the name, especially with the Greek roots and everything, could take us in any number of a different direction. So how did you settle yes. on that one for years? So it's Trochia, like Trachia, Tro but Trochia. Okay, fair enough. And it is a Greek word. It's found only once in the Bible, the portions of the Bible that are written in Greek, and it's in Hebrews 12, 13, where it says, make level the paths for your feet so that the lame will not be disabled, but rather be healed. Mm. And I was so intrigued uh, by the word, but more importantly, by the passage. I, I got the word from the passage after I looked at the original language. And it's this beautiful picture that as believers, as Christians, we have the privilege and the responsibility to develop our own journey of faith and grow, not just for our benefit, but also for the benefit of others. Mm. That when we are on the right path or remain faithful on the path, we get healing, we get growth, we have we get blessings, but also others do as well. And mm. the writer of Hebrews is calling us to live out faithfully this journey of faith. And he calls us, make, make level the path, make sure that you're on the right path and remain in it. Really, this is a common theme in scripture. Uh, Jude does this, right? Maybe not using the same language. Paul is constantly telling us to be, be, live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And so the writer of Hebrew does it, uses that word only once in the Bible. I thought it was cool. So I started Trochia Ministries in 2010. Really, I was in the middle of seminary. And I was learning so much. I was a new believer, actually, which is amazing how God works. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't stand it. I couldn't keep all that information to myself. So I wanted to share it. I wanted to grow and I wanted to help other people grow. And so I started this ministry as an effort to kind of really lock hands together and be committed to being faithful on a journey of faith. I think it's a fantastic story and testimony uh, from Ines Franklin today here on The Bottom Line, who's part of the teaching team at Mariners, and she's the author of this brand new book called Unchartered, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It just came out, and it's getting nothing but five-star reviews. And I can understand why, Ines, because you're probably hearing from a lot of people who are saying, I'm so glad you kind of... Uh, encapsulated everything that you have been through and what we as Christians go through, because I think there's a tendency, it may be an American church thing, I'm not sure, but I'd love to get your take on this, with regard to the idea that there is a way to faith, and there is a path, and there is a formula, if you will, and it, it kind of, if we're not careful, it becomes the four spiritual laws and praying the sinner's prayer, and everyone's going to have the same course, but you just described a course that's unique to everybody, but beneficial for everyone at the same time. Talk, yeah. talk, talk about that, if you would. Unpack that. Well, first of all, I want you to know I am guilty of the very thing that I write about. So I this calling to write my first book came to me two years into my journey of faith beginning. Mm -hmm. I think God could already sense that because I lived the first 40 years of my life my way, 
when I gave my life to Jesus, I just had this idea in my head that now that I was a Christian, my journey was going to be a certain way. It's all going mm -hmm. to be up and to the right. And all my decisions would be wiser. My relationships would be better. I would be healthier, safe, more blessed, everything. I wanted that linear path. And it began for me trying to understand this idea of discerning the will of God. I wanted to know the will of God so I could live that way and not live the way I did the first half of my life. Hmm. I made a mess. I talk about that in my book. So many decisions that I deeply regret only because they caused me and other people so much pain. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to, I didn't want to live that way. So I started looking at this idea of discerning the will of God, but I didn't realize it until I was well in it that I was looking for a formula. I was looking for a linear mm -hmm. path. I was looking right. for the easy way that would just be guaranteed to work out exactly the way that I thought it would work. And it took me 18 years to write the book, mm. thankfully so, because I, every time I wrote, <laughs> I just wasn't feeling like it was right. Yeah. I think God wanted to teach me that it is an uncharted path, that my journey doesn't look like someone else's, even though we have very similar uh, milestones that we all go into actually equal milestones along the way. We don't hit them in the same way. We all have different things that we bring to the table, different experiences. And so I was comparing my journey to others like that person. I want that journey. Mm -hmm. I want it to be like theirs. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, or comparing myself to someone going, I don't want that. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. Uh, and, and God's going, no, no, no. I've got something very unique for you, Inez. And by the way, that's how I work as I study the Bible. I realized Every person in the Bible has an uncharted journey. It doesn't, no one looks like somebody else. And it certainly doesn't look the way they expected. And I have a long right. list of people who like, they had a totally different experience than maybe what we would think they should have. I, I'm smiling and resonating with what you're saying, especially how you know, the, the old expression, it took you 18 years to become an overnight success. Um, because that we see that happen in the, the entertainment world, the business world. And we think, wow, they, they really had to work hard. But in our faith journey, we, we want it to be, something that's almost immediate and using an older example of uh, something that I saw once on uh, television. I don't remember which channel it was on, but uh, the actor Grant Goodeve was on Eight is Enough all those years ago, uh, wound up coming to faith in Christ by watching The 700 Club. And he said, at the time, I was a chain smoker. I was an alcoholic. My life was in the toilet. I was living in a hotel because my marriage was falling apart. And so I, I prayed and I really felt the Holy Spirit come on me. I fell asleep. I woke up the next morning. I popped myself a beer and opened up a package of cigarettes. And I went, wait, it didn't work, you know, <laughs> and he starts talking about what his discipleship journey was like in terms of, okay, how do you, you know, the sanctification is a process. Salvation happens instantaneously. Talk about one of the things you write about in the book in this, um, the uncharted book about knowing God's desires, because that's got to be huge. I mean, like you said, I was basically, you were taking, as a lot of us do, the way you handled your secular self and said, okay, I'm going to just kind of Christianize this and it's going to go a certain way. You really, you really kind of <laughs> have to get, yeah, you're same. And you, you got to get to know God's desires. Talk, talk about why that's important and, and what that involves for us as Christians. Yes. So I could tell that this secularized way to live out my Christian faith was getting me nowhere. Right. I was getting frustrated and disappointed maybe even disillusioned because clearly I was trying to put on a formula over God that was never going to work. And what I realized was the more I try to control, the more I try to guarantee a certain outcome, 
the more I search for certainty, the way that I would in my own secular life, where I, 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 you know, I'm strategic and I look at all the possible outcomes and I, I try to do everything with the sense of what the future is going to look like, because I'm trying to make the future happen the way I want it to happen. Sure. And when I do that, what I realized was I wasn't living out God's desires for me because mm. my desires as big as it can be. I mean, I can, I can dream big. I'm ambitious. Mm -hmm. They are nothing compared, nothing compared to what God desires for me. The, the times when I did accept what I felt God was calling me to do, and sometimes in very small ways, anything from, gosh, I, I should probably text that person. You know, I haven't talked to her in a while. And then texting them and finding out that person was going through something and they, need, they needed me there that moment. Mm -hmm. Little ways and other times bigger ways. Sure. The time I, I did trust God, not knowing the outcome, not having control of the future, I saw that what God had for me there was far more beautiful than yes. when I control the circumstances. Yes. And so it got me to thinking like, God, what other desires do you have for me that I'm getting in the way of experiencing? And I get it. Sometimes what God desires for us is going to take us through perhaps some suffering, some humbling experiences, some breaking. Yeah. God has broken some things in me in order to bring me the blessing he has for me. And I have now learned that that's actually good because we have a good loving God that cannot help but do good things for us. And if, if doing good means he has to take something away or doing good means he has to take us through an experience that you know, we, would not, we would not choose ourselves, um, ultimately it will work out to the good, even if I don't understand it at the time or even in my lifetime. And so I've learned that with control and with our desire for certainty, we literally blind ourselves to God's desires for us. And there are mm. so many and so detailed, it would blow our minds. It's blowing my mind as yeah. I have tried to go on this journey, really seeking his desires versus my own. And it's not easy to do because it requires a lot of humility, a constant state of, okay, God, where am I trying to control again? Because it's a habit now for me of being a control freak. <laughs> and like any other habit, you have to work at it. Right. So. Well, we, we like to think of it more as a manager, not as a bunch of control <laughs> freak, but uh, uh, but I, I know the feeling. I'm really resonating with this. It's a great book from Ines Franklin today here on The Bottom Line. Unchartered is the title, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Now that we've talked about some of the pratfalls and pitfalls that we can encounter when trying to differentiate between what was our will and what was God's will. Now the question is, well, how do we thrive? I mean, how do we, once we get on this, you know, begin to chart the uncharted course, uh, how do we know that we're thriving in it? We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues in a moment. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 
800-242-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the bottom line here on this Good News Friday. I'm Roger Marsh. The good news is that we have not one, but two copies of this book that we're talking about to give away. Uh, Pastor and author Ines Franklin is with me. Unchartered is the name of the book. Navigating your unique journey of faith, and especially if you are a member of Mariner's Church right here in Southern California, any of the great Mariner's campuses, uh, Pastor Ines is on staff in Mariner's too. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have two copies of this book to give away by Ines Franklin. The book is called Unchartered, and it talks about navigating your own spiritual journey. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. We have two copies of this book to give away. When I think about the path that God led me on, to get into broadcast ministry and eventually pulpit ministry and back full-time into broadcast ministry. Um, I'm amazed at how often I wanted the big lightning bolt from the sky. You know, we, we all do that, right? Uh, there, sometimes my prayer is, Lord, where's the big red arrow that says you are here? Because I feel like I'm not quite sure where I am and where I'm going. Uh, my dad used to have a, a saying, and I know he probably co-opted it for somebody else, but he was talking about the importance of making plans. And I'm married to a planner. Lisa is planner par excellence. And even to the point of planning traffic routes and trying to anticipate problems. And and if we don't take the most direct route, it really does have a, an impact on her, a very powerful one. But my dad's words echo in my mind every time I'm out driving somewhere with my wife. And that is, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. It's important to have a plan. We can't know every single step of the way. That's up to God. Our job is to take Psalm 119, verse 105 to heart. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And if you remember the old lamp unto my feet TV shows, a daily devotional, they had that visual image of two feet in sandals on a path with just enough light to take the next step. Your course is unique as a Christian. No one's ever done it before. No one will ever do it after you do it. But you have to trust God that you can make it through these uncharted waters. More of my conversation with pastor and author Ines Franklin coming up next as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own. And by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R 
today. Ines Franklin is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The brand new book is called Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. Ines Franklin is a pastor, Bible teacher, author, speaker, and podcaster, currently serving as a teaching pastor at Mariner's Church in Southern California. And uh, she and uh, her husband live in uh, right here in our own backyard. And uh, we're, next time we get together, Ines, for sure, we're going to have to do this yes. in the same studio. You know, the, the, the Zoom to Zoom is is working quite nicely. In this book, uh, you you talk about the, the many ways that we as believers begin to realize that sometimes if we're not careful, and you're um, staff at a church too, so you know how easy it is to kind of fall into that trap of saying, well, we're going to have a new members class and a discern your spiritual gifts class. And, you know, it, it almost becomes formulaic. What you're telling us is there is a plan, but it's kind of a plan spontaneity to the outside world because it's between you and God. I mean, in terms of the course that he's charting for you. And I know there are a lot of people who walk with a lot of our listeners have been walking with the Lord for a long time. You hit your 50s, 60s and 70s. And all of a sudden, a couple of things happen and it kind of knocks you off course. And you begin to wonder, well, maybe, you know, did I have this wrong or maybe I was heading in the wrong direction? Take a couple of moments here, if you would, Ines, and help us to understand why it's important for us to not try to do this on our own, to travel in community, and also to really understand what it means to thirst for God and to seek what his will is, even as you've been walking with him for many, many years, and you might find yourself all of a sudden saying, you know, that nagging feeling, did the GPS go out? <laughs> Am I on the wrong street? Am I anywhere close to where I'm supposed to be? That type of thing. Yes, so good, so good. Well, yes, in my book, I say that God doesn't want uh, a formula that our faith journey is not a formula, but it's a relationship. Yeah. And with any relationship, we all know that relationships have their journeys, their ebbs and flows. Sometimes we feel close. Sometimes we feel distant mm -hmm. and it does require us to pay attention to it, to, to nurture it. Um, and so one, one of the aspects of this idea of thriving by thirsting for God is this posture of constantly wanting to nurture that relationship. Because as we do, we then grow in our understanding of God's desires for us. We get to experience God's presence with us, which then helps us overcome any obstacle that we deal with, any seasons of drought, any seasons of doubts, any seasons where we feel disconnected from God. His presence and our connection with him is what's going to carry us through. Even when if we feel distant, he will help us overcome any obstacle. And then, and then we have to be obedient. Oh man, I have a whole section of my book about obedience and mm. I'm sure this is going to be the, the least favorite portion of the book. And yet <laughs> I think it's the most important. Eugene Peterson yeah. wrote a whole book on obedience, right? A long obedience in the same direction. And I was trying to make sure I captured some of that in my book. And one of those is this idea of being in community because when we, we can borrow on each other's faith, sometimes we have to ride somebody else's faith because we're in a season where maybe we feel dry and someone else's encouragement and where they're experiencing hope and God's presence can be an encouragement to us. And we can do the same for them. Not only that, people can help hold us accountable. So while the journey of faith is unique to each and every one of us, and God is working in our lives very specifically to us, it's never meant to be just me and God kind of a thing. God works through people. He really does. He speaks through us through people. He encourages us through people. He challenges us. He sharpens us. And so we have to do both with God and with others. That's God's design. And we have to be obedient to that. Not, not because obedience 
is going to earn our love, God's love for us. We're not earning our salvation. That is a done deal given. Jesus said it is Amen. finished. Mm -hmm. But because it is through obedience that we get to practice what we say we believe. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why? Because it means it's not good for us when we're not being obedient to God. It actually harms us more than anything mm. and others, true. Amen. Ines Franklin is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, pastor at, uh, at Mariner's Church here in Irvine and author of the brand new book called Unchartered, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. One of the chapters you have toward the end, we were talking about the, the, the thirsting for God and how that leads us to thrive. It's got to be one that will probably, I, I love the way you described your obedience section. I, I, I think of people with their highlighters and their markers, you know, marking things up and you're probably thinking, well, those will be the cleaner pages of this, you know, the, <laughs> no, no, no one's going to want to mark that stuff up. But the one chapter I think people would want to just rip right out is the one where you talk about how certainty, the things that we're looking for, those, God, give me a sign, light bolt in the sky, big red arrow, something like that. You say certainty actually hinders growth. Talk about what you mean yes. by that. Yes. When we reach destination, quote unquote, that we think we're supposed to get at, yeah. whatever the destination is, whether it's a certain level of maturity in Christ or is a certain lifestyle or a certain, say, community experience, if we think, oh, I've arrived, then we have stopped growing. We yeah. have a God. I mean, Jesus said, oh, my gosh, I have so much more to teach you. Mm -hmm. So much more. There's so much more God wants to teach us until our very last breath. And so if we reach certainty, we stop growing. We are now actually atrophying. We're doing the opposite of growing. And so in that chapter, I'm really calling us to be in this lifelong, no, eternity long learning posture. This constant teachability and humility before the Lord, knowing that we have never learned enough. We have, we're not there yet. As Paul says, I, I haven't finished. I'm still growing. And so we're, we're running this race and I want to run this race to my last breath every single day growing in Christ. And I don't want to hit that certainty button because mm -hmm. I know if I do, I'm not growing. And mm. by the way, it is the most popular chapter so far. <laughs> really? Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. I, I'm glad it's having that result instead of the one that I proposed, because uh, I could see where <laughs> some people say, wait, I don't want something that's going to hinder my, well, okay. I, I understand that. Ines Franklin is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Unchartered is the name of the book, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ines, we have about two minutes left in our conversation here. And there are people who are listening to this right now who are at various stages. We have some people who are just coming to faith later in life. My wife and I met a, uh, a couple not too long ago at the dog park of all places, they came to faith in their forties and I his mom that. came and his mom came to faith at 98 and lived to be oh. 102. I mean, so it, I, the, the, it. I, I do too, because of having worked in youth ministry for a number of years there, well, you know, if they haven't made a decision by their 18, that statistically that's not going to happen. I'm not hearing that at all, but I also get the sense that there are people in our audience, especially who would pick up your book and say, I'm looking for a rebirth. I'm looking for a rebirth focus yeah. or a reset. Talk to that person uh, in the final yes. moment here about why this is such an important concept to get. In fact, the book, if I were going to summarize in a very simple phrase, is going from control to commitment. Mm. And that can happen early in our journey of faith mm -hmm. or 50, 60, 70 years, 80 years into our journey of faith. Yes. Meeting is a daily rhythm. The book is written like a rhythm. 
in that we're constantly daily recommitting ourselves to the Lord. Today, today, the minute we wake up, Lord, I'm going to follow your desires instead of my own. Help me follow your desires instead of my own. Show me where I need to be obedient. Lord, help me overcome my struggles. Help me thirst for you more. It's a posture of our hearts. And so that's my desire for the book. And so, yes, it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, I think this book is for you. And I wrote it in such a way that it feels like we're having a conversation because I want you to know I am reading my own book. I've actually read my book now <laughs> five times and I'm reading it again because this is something we all need all yes. the time. Oh, I love it. I love it. What was it? Martin Luther said, you know, the reason I preach the gospel so often is because I need to hear it first, you know, yes. and that's, it, yes. let's, let's not forget that ever. Uh, Ines Franklin, teaching pastor at Mariner's Church, an outstanding new book that's up at the thebottomlineshow.com, Unchartered, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. There's a link for the book up there as well. Ines, thank you so much for the work that you've done. And thank you for your time today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope it blesses you. And that concludes my conversation with pastor and author Ines Franklin today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Unchartered, and we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. 800-227-5278. Love to have giveaways on Good News Friday. We have two copies of Pastor Ines Franklin's book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we've got a couple copies of this book to give away here on this Good News Friday, and I am so thrilled that we have this opportunity to share that with you because, you know, the, at the end of the day, um, having that good news to share, uh, maybe the good news that somebody else needs to hear is the fact that, yeah, it's tough to be a Christian. Yeah, it's not easy to uh, to have this um, this new uh, you know, faith that you talk about. But at the same time, uh, it may not be easy, but it is pretty simple. You know, onward Christian soldiers, we do. And we continue to operate um, in that good news. So I encourage you to give us a call, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And um, I, I think it's important that we do take a look at an issue like what's going on here in the culture and uh, and take it for what it's worth. Take it for the idea that uh, uh, we can know what the Lord is calling us to do and um, we can absolutely uh, take solace in that. As we continue, we'll take a quick break and when we come back, I uh, want to respond to a couple of issues in the culture that show that the good news of Jesus Christ is alive and is for everyone. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970. 
800-696-9970 or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Ines Franklin for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about her new book called Unchartered. And if you're a member of Mariner's Church here in Southern California, uh, you know the pastor Ines is part of the the teaching team here. We've got a couple copies of her book to give away at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, it, of course, it's Good News Friday, but you know, I, I say this from time to time on Fridays. If you call, and we've already given away those books, we do have another book we're giving away later in the broadcast. Great book from Gary Thomas. But we have other resources here too. Don't be. This is the order off the menu part of the program, <laughs> you know, where you can say, "Hey, you know, I can get a three by three at In and Out. It's not on the menu, but I know they'll make it for me. I can get my fries, animal style, or chili cheese. Fr- yeah, you know." Well, the order off the menu part of the bottom line show, especially on Good News Friday, is if we are giving away something, um, we've got more stuff to give away, so you can ask for something else. Okay. <laughs> 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 that's the number to get you through to the bottom line i want you i wanted to share something with you that i think is good news i i've wrestled with this i didn't talk about it when he first declared his candidacy for the presidency i wondered if he was the right guy and matter of fact i have had politically like a lot of Christians have, kind of a love-hate relationship with Mike Pence. Now, you'll recall Mike Pence served as the vice president of the United States, was he 48th or something like that, vice president, for President Trump's presidency when he was the 45th president. We haven't had too many vice presidents. And quite frankly, unless they go on to become president, a lot of our vice presidents have been somewhat forgettable. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a thankless job. You need to be ready to go, You need to be the smartest guy in the room who doesn't get to say a whole lot because if something does happen to the president, the vice president is the one who takes over. There were a whole slew of candidates who were running for president on the GOP side in 2016. And when Donald Trump got the nomination, the question was, whom would he pick? I mean, he he went all out in this kind of verbal assaults of Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and he didn't have a lot of friends. I, I honestly thought that he might do something in terms of like picking Carly Fiorina as his running mate. But I, who did that? Was it Cruz? I mean, there, there were, toward the end when it was apparent that Donald Trump was going to get the nomination in 2016, there was a question as to whether or not anybody would want to be his running mate. And so when Mike Pence got the, the position, the, I did what a lot of Americans do. I'd like to say I Googled and I read up on him. I found his biography on the internet. And No, I didn't do that. I looked at a picture of Donald Trump and Mike Pence together. And the first thing I thought is America is never going to vote for these two guys. Because Donald Trump has the crazy hair and you know the, all the different faces that the media paints for him. But Mike Pence, I mean, he's just got that Midwestern, straight ahead, gray hair parted down the side, comb over type of thing. He looks like establishment white America. And I got the sense that America would really honestly be looking for something different. Now, over the course of time, I got to know some people 
who had the privilege of being part of the president's faith team. Uh, many of them were on the bottom line as guests. Uh, had the privilege of working with some of them more closely than others. It's kind of wild when you're on their way to the Harvest Crusade and you're talking to one of those people and they're saying, yeah, I'm supposed to be in Saudi Arabia right now, but I wanted to come out here and hang with Greg Laurie instead. And you're like, wow, what's going on in Saudi? Well, I can't tell you, but I mean, those are just kind of fun little serendipities, the doors that God opened up. I Please know, I'm not saying that to humble brag. I really am just kind of intrigued by this. But the more I knew about Mike Pence, the more I began to realize, hey, wait a minute, we picked a good one here. I mean, forget the image, you know, kind of stoic, uh, straight ahead Midwest. I mean, Mike Pence turned out to be one of the most qualified president or vice presidents in American history. I mean, this is a guy who... Uh, provided a very steadying influence for the United States in a time when American politics is all over the map because of the guy in the Oval Office. Mike Pence is a guy who has served the public well. He spent 12 years as a congressman from Indiana in the U.S. House of Representatives. He then served four years as governor of the same state of Indiana. The first time I really got to know Mike Pence is when he took over for Mitch Daniels, I believe, as the governor of Indiana. And there was all that fl uh, flap about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act on the national level and states were passing their own stuff. Remember that, was it ABC? <clears throat> Went around and tried to do hit pieces on restaurants that would not house a quote-unquote gay wedding. Right around the time the Obergefell decision was being decided. Mike Pence was governor of Indiana at the time. And the ABC news crew in South Bend went to this tiny little place. They literally was an ice cream shop that also served pizza. They had like four tables. And you couldn't see it more than 20 people in this restaurant. And they asked the hypothetical question. It was a young woman and her dad owned it. And they asked the hypothetical question, would you have a same-sex wedding reception here? And the woman answered honestly, you know, we're Christians. I mean, there's all sorts of Christian knickknackery on the wall. And, you know, but then there's the logistical part. I mean, where are you going to put everybody? I mean, it's not like you go to, you know, uh, yogurt land and have your wedding reception, right? Well, then, of course, here comes the bigotry. We found another, we found one over here. And this, this woman's filled with hate and blah, 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 blah. And it seemed like then that escalated from there. And then it was up to then Governor Mike Pence to try to calm the storm. And he did. But he angered a lot of Christians in the process because in doing so, he kind of watered down the Religious Freedom Restoration Act on the state level that they were looking for him to put some teeth into. The concern was that Barack Obama, who was president at the time, was going to overturn it. So I kind of, I, I, I took Mike Pence with a grain of salt when he ran with Donald Trump. When they pulled off the biggest upset in political history on November the 8th, 2016, I thought, okay, well, at least... There's one adult in the room, and it was Mike Pence, right? Well, Vice President Pence, I think, served admirably. One of those other members of the president's faith advisory team that he didn't always listen to, but he always heard them when they came to talk, talked about Mike Pence, and they said, well, Mike Pence would be the first guy to tell you that Donald Trump is the, probably the most belligerent person he's ever worked for. And yet, as members of the cabinet came up and down and along the way, Mike Pence was the guy who actually 
stayed the course. Mike Pence was the one who stayed true to his faith, who stayed true to the Constitution, who understood on January 6, 2021, that even though there was a way for the vice president to contest the election results, if other steps had been taken, because so few of those, if any of those steps were not taken, and we heard Christina Babb, the president's attorney, talking about how many Republicans played into that hand as well, Mike Pence did not have a leg to stand on to help uh, uh, Donald Trump and company take back the election. January 6th, 2021, he certified the U.S. presidential election, as well he should have, in my opinion. So why is Mike Pence announcing that he's running for president really important to us in the body of Christ? I want to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You still have a few moments left to get a call in, by the way, to win one of the two copies of Pastor Inez Franklin's book that we're giving away called Unchartered, helping you to discover your own spiritual journey and what it should look like for you and how there are similarities, of course, for every person who becomes a new creature in Christ, but not every one of us follows the same blueprint. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It is a Good News Friday. I'm talking about Mike Pence and his announcement that he was going to run for president of the United States. He made the announcement a couple of weeks ago, but I'm commenting on it today because I, I, there's some things that the former vice president said that give me confidence that he would make an excellent president. Now, do I think he's electable in the current climate? I'm not so sure, but here's what he had to say. He said, I believe in the American people. I have faith God is not done with America yet. Together we can bring this country back and the best days for the greatest nation on earth are yet to come. And with that, he announced, he filed the paperwork and he said, before God and my family, I'm announcing I'm running for president of the United States. Uh, The guy who uh, says, hey, look, I'm Indiana born and raised. I'm the grandson of an Irish immigrant. I have literally been in a part of a family that has lived the American dream He said, I'll always be proud of the progress we made together for a stronger, more prosperous America. At the same time, he uh, also made a comment that I thought was very telling. He said, today our party and our country need a leader that that will appeal, as Lincoln said, to the better angels of our nature. Today our country's in a lot of trouble. President Joe Biden and the radical left have weakened America at home and abroad. The American dream is being crushed under runaway inflation. Wages are dropping. Recession is looming. Our southern border is under siege. And the enemies of freedom are on the march around the world. As Pence warned that timeless American values are under assault as never before, um, excerpts of news stories focusing on his opposition to critical race theory, trans-identified men participating in women's sports, et cetera, et cetera, come up on the screen where he says that. But then he says, look, we're better than this. We can bring this country back. We can defend our nation and secure our border. We can revive our economy, put our nation back on a path to a balanced budget, defend liberties, and give America a new beginning for life. I believe in the American people, and I have faith. Now, does Mike Pence have a chance of winning? The answer is no. Uh, Not right now, anyway. Uh, Real Clear Politics did a poll that said uh, this is as of uh, between May 8th and May 22nd. Donald Trump, the front runner, 53% said they would support him. 
Ron DeSantis, second, 22.4%. Former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, 4.4%. Mike Pence, 3.8%. Now, the Republican National Committee has announced that the first Republican presidential debate is scheduled for August 23rd in Milwaukee. And I don't know that Donald Trump is actually invited to be on the docket. But here's the reason why a Mike Pence presidency makes sense. First and foremost, when the vice president says, I believe God is not done with America yet, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. Here's the language that I think we need to avoid. And that is, we need to bring our country back. Because quite frankly, the things that we have left behind, many of them are things we needed to leave behind. Why Why not move America forward? I know there's already a relief group that uses that name. But could we rally around a guy like Mike Pence? Yes, with the right vice presidential candidate, absolutely. The question he's going to have to ask and answer is, can he shake off the stink of four years of being Donald Trump's running mate? I'm not sure that he can, but I'm glad he put his hat in the ring. The Edmund Burke line keeps coming up. You know, what happens? Evil continues to prosper if good people do nothing, if we don't stand up. I don't know that Mike Pence running for vice president is, or for for president rather, is really going to solve anything. But I do know what it will do. That is him being obedient to God and saying, you told me to run, I'm going to run to see how far it goes. The Mike Pence announcement is an example of obedience to the God who makes more sense than we can ever ask or imagine or even begin to pretend we know. And so for that reason alone, I commend my brother in Christ, Mike Pence, the former vice president of the United States, for putting his hat in the proverbial ring. And who knows, maybe on July 7th, 2024, we might be singing a different song saying, we're very encouraged, thank you very much, by the progress that Mike Pence has made in his presidential campaign. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. For our KCBC audience, you can enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is coming your way next. For those who remain on the network, good news. Gary Thomas is back, got a new edition of his book, Sacred Pathways. Let's find out how we can get closer to God in these troubling times. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. It's so interesting when you think about what it is that we as Christians do during the course of our days and how we grow in our spiritual walk. And we call it a walk, and yet sometimes we wonder what kind of pathway we are on when we're actually going through that spiritual journey. Uh, Gary Thomas is an author. He's a pastor with Second Baptist Church in, uh, in Houston, and he is the author of a brand new book, which is a new take on a, a, one of his classic works called Sacred Pathways, Nine Ways to Connect with God. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Gary Thomas, welcome back to The Bottom Line show. Great to be back, Roger. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here, too. Now, how are things <laughs> How are things at Second Baptist in Houston? How has that impacted you, your ministry, the church, that type of thing? It's a fairly large facility. For me as a writer, that's allowed me to focus on getting some writing projects caught up. 
Yeah, it seems like God is really using this time for people in our professions to say, okay, let's refocus here, you know, and, and maybe there are some things that we're sitting on the on the back burner that get moved to the front burner, and, and, and the fact that now you're giving people an opportunity, I think the Sacred Pathways book uh, is coming out at a perfect time, with a lot of people who might not have considered uh, these nine Sacred Pathways before, uh, to give them a chance to uh, either consider them for the first time, or to consider them with uh, with new eyes. First of all, let's get let's talk about the sacred pathway. I think a lot of people would say, okay, well, there should be a sacred pathway. We're walking along our walk of faith, but you've actually identified nine. So the question, I guess, is first of all, what's the sacred pathway? And then do we only have just one or do we bunch up on some of these? All right. Well, one of the things that I I think it's interesting that you mentioned this during the, the whole COVID lockdown and everything is that I've always positioned sacred pathways as a Monday through Saturday form of connecting with God. The notion being that you can't express online pathways on any given church service, either on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. So it really is a perfect time. It's how we cultivate on a day-to-day basis our passion, our connection with God, adoring Him, hearing from Him, being affirmed by Him, being empowered by Him. And I do believe that people are blends. I wanted to take people out of the quiet time box when I wrote it. There was really this one-size-fits-all spirituality, sort of Uh like, uh here's how you have a quiet time, here's when you have it, here's what you do. And it just didn't fit everybody. And going through Scripture and the Christian classics and history, I was able to determine a number of different ways that people focus on as they meet the Lord. And so began putting them together, nine popped out, and it's been gratifying that over the 20-some years that the book has been out, I haven't somebody said, well, you skipped this or you forgot that or whatnot. It's, it's held up pretty well, which has been very gratifying. I had to mm-hmm. take out some of the uh, contemporaneous examples. I used General Schwarzkopf, which people <laughs> might, might remember, but probably yeah. nobody under 40 does, uh-huh. um, those kind of things. But the main core idea, nine different spiritual temperaments, different pathways of approaching God, that's, that's been tried and true. Mm. And it must be so gratifying, Gary Thomas, to see this work hold up and be able to breathe some new life into it. And so everything old is new is old is new. And uh, the new book is Sacred Pathways, Nine Ways to Connect with God. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, you, you mentioned the seasons of life and loving God day in, day out. Um, these nine sacred pathways seem to kind of help us to understand why it is that we have, I guess, a, a spiritual temperament, as it, as it would be. Talk about why our spiritual temperament might be a little bit different than our personality temper, temperament. Because sometimes, you know, we look at certain personality types and say, oh, you're like that, I'm like that too. But people with the same personalities might have seen different spiritual temperaments, wouldn't they? Yes, yeah. Well, personality temperaments that are very popular and like the Enneagram that are very popular are all about understanding yourself. This is an entirely different approach of learning how you best connect with God. And so you've got the contemplatives that have an emotional disposition toward God, the intellectuals where it's more conceptual, the sensates where it's through the senses, the naturalists, it's being out in creation. It's, it's understanding the environment that most opens up your mind and heart to connect with God, to worship Him, to hear from Him, to get to know Him, and ultimately by spending time with Him, become more like him. So it doesn't have a direct bearing on your personality temperament, uh, although that can influence the way your pathway goes. It really is entirely about helping people to connect with the Lord. 
Gary Thomas is a writer in residence at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. He's also adjunct faculty member teaching on spiritual formation at both Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon and Houston Theological Seminary in Houston, Texas. His new release is called Sacred Pathways, Nine Ways to Connect with God. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You mentioned the Enneagram uh, part, and I hope I pronounced that properly, Gary. I have kids who are millennials, and they are totally into this. And we had a, we had an experience not too long ago where a family member of ours carried on in a certain way, and I was shaking my head, asking, "Gosh, why did that happen?" And my younger daughter looked at me and said, "Because he's a four, and kept on moving." And I went, "Okay, what 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 does that mean? Four, three, seven, whatever." But you mentioned that in terms of our, these sacred pathways, and so I'm curious: is there a connection? Is there a way that they kind of dovetail? Did somebody read your book and come up with a whole new way of expressing it numerically? How do you answer that, Gary Thomas? Well, the the Enneagram is an ancient map of nine different sort of connecting ways, and you have your number and a wing. Mm-hmm. I'm a one with a two wing. People that know the Enneagram will know what that means, um, kind of a rule follower and, what, and whatnot. Um, but I didn't consult the Enneagram when I wrote Sacred Pathways. It really didn't start to get a popular understanding in the evangelical church until about the early 90s, which is when Sacred Pathways first came out, I really consulted Scripture. I was reading through the Christian classics. I was looking at sort of denominational tendencies. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't consult the Enneagram not because of animus toward it or disinterest. It just wasn't as—I I just wasn't that aware of it. Now, the thing about the Enneagram, you have sort of a, your, your, your shadow side and sort of your disposition, and a lot of it comes from your childhood hurts. It's trying to understand yourself and your tendencies. And pretty much with the Enneagram, what you are is what you're stuck with. You don't Mm -hmm. really get out of it. It's Mm -hmm. helpful to be aware of it. The pathways, I think, are much more fluid. I think people can be blends. I've had people write to me and say, you know what, there's a time in my life I felt like I was a naturalist. I really got into being an intellectual, and now I, I might be more of a caregiver. I also think the pathways are far more uh, terms of blends, not just going through them in different seasons, but there might be a few pathways that you really connect with rather than particularly one. So it, it really is a book. The two things I've heard most often when people go through the pathways, especially in small groups, one, freedom. There's people just breathing the sigh of relief that I can be who God created me to be. I may not connect with God the way my pastor did or the way the person who led me to the Lord did or my parents who I really respected, that, that I can have a unique relationship with God. And there's just a lot of freedom in that. And secondly, understanding others. Small groups are like, well, that's why they always want to spend all the time talking and not getting to the Bible study. That's why he wants to spend 55 <laughs> minutes yeah. in Bible study with one song. It's why she wants to do 55 minutes of singing with five minutes of Bible study. (laughs) They finally get that, oh, okay, this is what helps them connect with the Lord the most. And so instead of fighting over it, there's just an increased understanding. Okay, now I get it. With that knowledge, what do we do? Does that mean, Gary Thomas, then, that maybe we are better off trying to find congregations or fellowships, Bible studies, whatever it is, where people are like-minded, or is it a kind of a push to get out of that? Maybe, for example, you've got you know, the people who want 55 minutes of singing and just a little bit of message, and, and we need yeah. to have that kind of balance. Is it understanding yeah. the differences and saying, let's all work together? That sounds like what you're, that's what you're driving at. Well, it's why I've often tried to stress that I really see this as a Monday through Saturday book. And I realize now a lot of churches meet on Saturday evening, which kind of blows the analogy. But people know what I mean. I think we will impoverish ourselves 
if we establish the outdoor chapel of the naturalist, the rock and rolling church of the enthusiast, I think, or the very quiet church of the contemplatives, I think we can learn from each other. And I think what happens then, if we are really meeting with God in a way where we're transformed, we're encouraged, we're inspired, then the weekend services, we're pooling our faith, we're pooling our enthusiasm, we're, we're joining together for our mission and purpose, and, and the church is lifted up. Because so many of the pathways that seem very different are complementary. Let me give you two examples. Okay. The um, caregivers and the activists often feel like they're on different ends of the spectrum because caregivers connect with God best by helping others in need, whether it's mm-hmm. sick people, whether they're uh, EMTs, you know, rescue services, whether they like to do good deeds for others, fix cars, paint houses, or whatnot. And the activists are out there standing up against injustice. They go to church to get petitions signed and to recruit volunteers. They feel most connected to God when they're fighting God's battles in God's name. And so they feel like they're on opposite end of the spectrums. But what I tell them is this. Activists are created by God to address systemic evils, to Mm. stop the injustice from happening. Caregivers are motivated by God to help the victims of evil when systems haven't been fixed yet. And so you could see the church is richer for having both. Instead of activists trying to get the caregivers to become picketers, <laughs> and the caregivers <laughs> right. trying to get the picketers to become, you know, bedside yeah. sitters, the church benefits from having both expressions of the same faith and love of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's powerful. Gary Thomas is with me today here on The Bottom Line. It's a lot to process. This brand new book is called Sacred Pathways, Nine Ways to Connect with God. It's an updated edition of the classic that came out uh, many years ago. And of course, it's got a, a new lease on life, especially now as people are trying to figure this out loud. I mean, what are the different pathways? How? Are, I mean, the, the main goal here is how do we most powerfully worship and connect with God? And this is a great way to understand, help us understand why so many of us do it in different ways. Then I guess the next question is, what do we do then? So let's take a break and we'll kind of come back with the then what question for Gary Thomas in just a moment. We've got a link for Sacred Pathways up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of my conversation with Dr. Gary Thomas in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. 
Gary Thomas is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Gary, a writer in residence at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. He's also adjunct faculty at Western Seminary in Portland and Houston Theological Seminary in Houston, Texas. Uh, the author of nearly, well, a couple of dozen books, it looks like. And uh, um, this new one is uh, kind of new, kind of a new lease on life for a classic of his. Uh, the book is called Sacred Pathways, Nine Ways to Connect with God. Got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Gary, as we mentioned, it must be gratifying for you to see how what God gave you in the mid-90s with regard to this has not only held up, but is actually speaking into the lives of a new generation of people who are saying, wow, I didn't realize that there were activists in the body of Christ. I didn't realize there were traditionalists. I didn't realize there were naturalists and that we're all on the same team because it seems like in the culture we're in right now, everyone's being pitted against each other. You know, one the, the activists against the caregivers, as you mentioned before. Talk about the complementary nature of these pathways and why each of us can have more than just one. Well, I, I believe in part it tells us the wonder of God, the, the glory of God is so great that not one person can corner the market on how best to meet with that God. Mm-hmm. Um, it speaks also the fact that God has many children that he creates in different ways. What really opened my eyes to this, because, Roger, there was a time in college when I was discipling, I I taught one specific type of quiet time with a vengeance and would try to hold people accountable to it. And I just hope that God has mercy on those people and they didn't wreck them for the rest of their life with that, that legalism. Where my eyes were open is when I had kids and realized I had a very different relationship with each one of my kids. Mm-hmm. We talked about different things. We did different things. We related in a different way. And I liked that. I liked the fact that I related to my kids differently. Nothing would have grieved me more than if my introverted daughter thought she had to be like my extroverted daughter for me to enjoy spending time with her, or right. my competitive son felt like he had to be like one of my non-competitive daughters for me to enjoy spending time with him. And I realized... Mm-hmm. If that's true of me with my kids, how much more our Heavenly Father, I received my kids' personalities. God creates those personalities. Yes. And in a way, it's an act of worship to say, God, this is how you created me. These are the windows to my soul that you planted in my heart, and I just want to look at you through these windows and be who you created me to be. Um, I I was really struck when when the book first came out. I had no platform, but a a very well-known pastor uh, in the Midwest, picked it up and spoke on it, this huge pastor's conference. got thousands and thousands of pastors there. And he, he really kind of set the stage for, for my generation of what mm-hmm. a lot of pastors wanted to be. And I was shocked when he said, because I was reading this book, Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas, and when I came across the activist, he said, I just cringed because I knew Gary Thomas was about to describe me. He goes, I, in my perfect self, I don't want to be an activist. He goes, I want to mm. be a, a contemplative, you know, one of the desert fathers who just goes off and spends time coming. He goes, but I, who am I kidding? I know that's who God created me to be. And I just thought, how many people look up to him, and yet he was feeling guilty over who he was, recognizing his limitations. His ideal self might be a different type. Mm-hmm. And and it really helped me just to take a step back, Roger, and say, you know, let's just be who God created us to be. Nobody corners the market on devotion to God. Amen. Activists are frustrated that contemplatives just want to go off and be by themselves. Ascetics are thinking, you know, the enthusiasts are a little bit shallow because they want to worship and celebrate and sing, and, and they just want to be quiet. 
and the enthusiasts think, boy, you know, you ascetics, you're just always off alone and you're so somber. <laughs> Why don't you celebrate? God deserves to be celebrated. We could just recognize that God is, is so wonderful and diverse. It sounds silly to say big, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think of a better word, but it, it just tells us that none of us can fully know who he is, which is why we need the church, because I can learn from the other temperaments. I can see how other people connect with God without trying to be everything. I can just appreciate uh, the varied way that God creates all of us. Gary Thomas, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Sacred Pathways is the book. This is the 2020 edition, and it's up at thebottomlineshow.com. You've got different biblical figures who are attached to each of these personalities just to kind of give us a a blueprint as to how this, you know, how this really plays out in real life. Was there anyone in particular, as you were doing the research for this, uh, that kind of jumped out and you went, wow, I'd never realized that these two, you know, this person went with that temperament that was walking that pathway before? What was the biggest surprise for you? Yeah, well, I was really struck by Mordecai. Um, he, of course, goes back to the story of Esther. His whole life was taking care of others. Esther was an orphan. He takes her in, so he's caring for this little orphan. In the next chapter, he's protecting the king. He overhears a plot where they're going to try to overthrow the king. So it's striking. He, he protects an orphan, the powerless, the anonymous, and then the king, the most powerful, you know, and, and, and the famous. And then... He ends up protecting the nation. There's a plot against the Jews, and he finds out. That's where he brings Esther in to say, you've got to stand up for that. And then it's so successful, not a single Jewish person loses their life in the program that was set up against them. They decide to have a yearly festival, and they were going to honor him. And he said, no, let's celebrate the festival by giving gifts to the poor. Mm. And it just strikes me that, man, he, he's, he's caring for an orphan, a king, a nation, and the poor— this is a man who just, who just wants to care. And, mm. you know, a, a contemporary example would be Mother Teresa of Calcutta, right, right. the famous Sisters of Mercy. And she used to ask the, um, the women that wanted to become a part of the order, does this work give you joy? Mm. And if they didn't answer with an immediate yes, they didn't get in. She, she wasn't looking for martyrs. And what helps us understand the pathway, we're all called to care for the sick and visit prisoners and help people out. The difference that makes it a pathway is for the caregivers, it's what feeds their soul. They don't have to recover from it. It's really their form of prayer. They feel closest to God. They hear God's voice most clearly when they're giving care. And Mordecai was certainly a a biblical figure that, that just typified that. That's a great story, and it's a great reminder of how God uses us, especially when you think about all the things that, that, that Esther did and was able to accomplish, and yet with Mordecai's care, you know, moving along from every sta- season of her life all the way up through her uh, ascent to royalty, uh, it, it's a great reminder. We've got about 60 seconds left, Gary Thomas. We're talking about the book Sacred Pathways. One of the things that you ask readers to do, this may not be easy to do in 60 seconds, so take as much time as you need, but you, ta- you ask readers to identify their Gethsemane. I know we often think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, praise God that he went through that, not us. Uh, But you kind of exhort us and challenge us a little bit to say, wait a minute, every one of us has a Gethsemane. Talk about why that is so important. The the reason that the Garden of Gethsemane is so celebrated on Passion Week is because it had such a significant role in Jesus' life prior to Passion Week. I was shocked when I went through the Gospels and realized how often Jesus went there. The reason that Judas knew he could find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples 
all the gospel writers point this out. And so the image is this. When you're at that point of ministry where God is going to pour you out, when you really need to hear from God, when you really need to draw strength from God, where is your Gethsemane? Where do you go? For the enthusiast, it might be with an instrument in your hand. For the ascetic, it might be a quiet room where nobody's going to bug you. For the naturalist, it might be a path through a forest. Um, But it's finding that place when you're spiritually hungry. You need to hear from God. You need to meet with God. You know you're running on spiritual fumes. For Jesus, it was the Garden of Gethsemane. I just say, what's your garden? It may not be a garden. If you're a naturalist, it might be. But knowing that place where you can go to meet with God when you just desperately need his presence and fellowship. Boy, that's a good reminder for all of us, especially it doesn't matter what time of year, because oftentimes when we think of Gethsemane, we think of uh, a Holy Week. But uh, to, to know that, yeah. yeah, that's it. But this is the whole time to think about, uh, you know, the Gethsemane that you go to as often as Jesus did. Gary Thomas, time always goes by much too quickly. Great new book. I love this reworking of Sacred Pathways, Nine Ways to Connect with God. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Gary, blessings to you. Hope that you can get out to Water of Life in Fontana soon. And when you're in town, you can swing on by and we and do this conversation face-to-face. But till then, we're praying for you and your ministry, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. It's always great to get time with Gary Thomas, and especially revisiting a conversation we had not too long ago regarding his uh, new edition of the book, Sacred Pathways, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Nine ways to connect with God. Uh, It's something that as we are looking to uh, draw closer to God in our relationship with him, uh, these sacred pathways will certainly be a benefit to you and your family. Good News Fridays with giveaways are always good, and I've got one copy of Gary's book to give away. We'll do that right now, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we've got one copy of Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Pathways, the book he and I were just discussing, to give away. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Gary Thomas. Always a pleasure to get some time with him and his book, Sacred Pathways, is a no-brainer. It's a no-doubter. If you, There are nine separate, distinct spiritual temperaments that all have strengths and weaknesses and tendencies. And when you understand them, you can improve your spiritual life and deepen your walk with the Lord. The book, Sacred Pathways, Nine Ways to Connect with God is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're giving away a copy today here as we wrap up this edition of Good News Friday, 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you and God are separated, guess who moved? Uh, the beautiful thing about having a relationship with the Lord, accepting the gift of salvation because you've accepted the gift of faith that God has given to you, and now you can approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace and to help you in your time of need is that God loved the world so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. And there are Christians who organize in different churches and different denominations all over the world, have for all of eternity, or at least since, uh, uh, at least since the, uh, the advent of Christ walking the earth. And it's amazing to me how many people talk about leaving one denomination for another, or how many people... Uh, are, are questioning things that they believed for 30, 40 years. And all of this, to me, are the growing pains that we see in Matthew 13. The wheat and the tares, the wheat, of course, that God has planted, the tares that the enemy has planted. And as the weeds are growing up among the wheat, our tendency is to want to weed out a few weeds so the weed can grow, or wheat can grow better. At the end of the day, Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. They're both going to grow until they reach full maturity. And then the farmer is going to come, the gardener is going to come and harvest all of it, pull it all up at the same time, separate the wheat from the weeds, burn the weeds, keep the wheat. So as we keep looking for these ways to draw closer to God, to abide in him, it's more important now that we look to him for these answers instead of to the world or even to our local congregation or that charismatic pastor who was such a great guy a couple of years ago, but now all of a sudden he's in the middle of a sex scandal. The truth, the way, and the life is Jesus Christ, first and foremost. No one gets to the Father except through him. We are united in his church because of that common belief. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.